Hi, my name is Lynn McTaggart. Welcome to my podcast, Living the New Science. In these podcasts, I'm covering some extraordinary discoveries by frontier scientists and other new thought leaders, and why this changes everything we think about how our world works and also how we should live our lives. Today, I'm diving deeply with my friend, Dr. Sue Mortar, the amazing healer and best-selling author of The Energy Codes, to talk about the true nature of health and illness and about how our past and our emotions so often are behind physical illness. We're also gonna talk about how to resolve some of the issues in the past that are disturbing our present. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this amazing event with my dear friend, Dr. Sue Mortar and myself, Lynn McTaggart. So why don't we just start by introducing ourselves for the people who don't know us. Dr. Sue, tell us a little bit about you. <laughs> Absolutely. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to my community. And it's very nice to meet uh, your community, Lynn. It's wonderful to be here with you. I so love connecting with you every time we get a chance. And this is going to be big fun because it's just us having a conversation. So for those of you that don't know me, I am um, 40 years in healthcare. I grew up in a natural healthcare environment. I've never gone to the doctor and taken an antibiotic for healing to happen. I was raised in an environment. My father was a pioneer in energy medicine and, uh, and quantum science was just coming on the scene as I was a kid. And so research was constantly being talked about the fact that what we think about comes about. And, and if we are not healing, there is a reason. And the majority of that reason is because of subconscious, unresolved emotional stuff that gets locked up in our system, et cetera. So I've been a clinician for uh, more than 30 years and uh, in this teaching realm now for about 20 years out around the world being invited to speak at all kinds of conferences that bridge the power of the mind and the power for us to heal. It bridges science and spirituality and quantum science and epigenetics and bioenergetics. And we're going to make just a user-friendly version of that conversation uh, for you today. And I'm thrilled to be here with my dear friend, Lynn. So Lynn, why don't you just say a few things about about your amazingness, and if and if not, I'm going to chime in about your amazingness. <laughs> along okay, the way. I am a uh, internationally best-selling author now. Um, I've written seven books, and the last four have been about where science and spirit meets. In the course of doing this, I actually started out as a skeptic because I have a background as a hard-nosed investigative reporter, and when I started hearing about the power of the mind you know, the idea is that thoughts are things that affect other things. Back in the early 2000s, after I'd done a book called The Field, um, I was skeptical about it. I wanted to know, well, how far can we take this? You know, can we, is this just about moving quantum particles with our thoughts or is this about curing cancer? So I decided to test this and I run an international experiment called the Intention Experiment, where every so often I gather together my readers and and people from around the world or an audience if I'm speaking, and we send an intention to a well-controlled target set up by some scientist who is working at a prestigious place like University of Arizona or, or Princeton or Penn State. So we've run 33 of these things, which I didn't think was going to work. Everything from trying to make seeds grow faster to um, lowering violence in war-torn areas. 
And of those 33, 29 have shown measurable, positive, mostly significant effects. There's no pharmaceutical drug out there that's as successful as that. But what really happened to change me was trying to scale this down uh, in 2008 and trying to run a workshop to demonstrate the power of group intention. And I wasn't really sure what to do. And so I just took a punt and put people in groups of eight um, and had them send healing intention to some member of the group with a health challenge, not thinking it was going to work, thinking it was going to feel a bit like getting a massage. And to my shock and amazement, the people healed, you know, and it didn't work all the time, but it worked enough of the time where people with things like cataracts, um, paralysis, stroke, um, um, arthritis, all kinds of issues were healed in that 10 minute window that we did this intention. So that was a huge shock to me. And since then, I've been trying to figure out why on earth this works. And I've run thousands of them and workshops and master classes. And in every case, you know, we have people within those communities who get healed of so-called un, you know, um, un, uh, intractable illnesses of every sort. So I thought today would be great for us to talk about healing um, through these kind of wonderful energetic things of the past and of groups, et cetera. Yes, uh, it's such a phenomenal thing when we start to harness the power of the mind and the power of the energy fields that we are and to recognize that we're not just this flesh and bone, that we have a tremendous outreaching capacity. You know, I thanked you, Lynn, in my book, which uh, I just launched uh, my first book in in March, and it's become an an instant uh, bestseller. It's now being translated into uh, thirteen languages. I think we have uh, an amazing request from around the world for me to teach workshops about this very thing as well. So, what we're interested in today is talking about um, about how to master this capacity uh, to master the mind to heal ourselves on every level and what and i have by found the way, tell us what the name of your book is oh sure sure oh i have it here it's uh it's the energy codes and it's a codified way to um to embody this energy uh so that we can begin to build the neuro circuitry to have access to the power of this mind serving our true intention rather than the mind kind of becoming a runaway train and operating as its own warrior, as its own um, at trying to live in the future, trying to live in the past, trying to control circumstances of our lives rather than allowing it to run out of control. We're, we're learning in this book how to masterfully anchor the mind onto the body rather than us being attached to the mind, we start to recognize that we are not the mind. We have a mind as a tool that we're supposed to be using to our great advantage. And when we start to understand the different perspectives there and to, to recognize what the prioritization needs to be in order to harness the power of the mind, uh, we become very effective, not only for allowing others to heal by the power of our, of our collective, but also to heal ourselves, to have a deep access to the unresolvedness within our own system that we don't even necessarily consciously think about, 
but that is subconsciously driving our lives. You know, the subconscious is is driving us. We we don't um, we don't have to consciously remember to keep our heart rate going or to keep our blood chemistries proper or to digest. All that happens at a subconscious level. And if there is unresolved subconscious emotion that has not been um, reckoned with, if you will, or accessed or embraced and therefore dissolved, then that subconscious residue basically keeps routing our neurocircuitry into a defense fight or flight expression rather than being able to relax into healing and filtering and cleansing and detoxifying ourselves and being available for creative genius. So that when we come together in in Lynn's power of eight, or we're collecting and connecting in such a way that we have a pure, unaltered energy flow that is able to reach further automatically. The more distortions and um, and unresolvedness that we have in our own energy field, the harder it is for us to make a difference for ourselves or for others in our good intentions on a conscious level. So. So we're working together to allow our consciousness and our subconsciousness to get on the same page so that we are empowered to truly make the changes in ourselves and in our lives and in the world that we would love to see happen. You know, that so resonates with me and with the work that I do, Sue. It's so obvious to me uh, now, since that time of putting together these first power bait groups. As I say, I've been running workshops since 2008 and um, it took me 10 years to get the courage up and to understand enough about why the power of bait works so well to do a book about it. And uh, I published a book a year ago called The Power of Bait. Um, but what I've discovered in the workshops I do and year long master classes is that some people get well and some people don't and it's been really fascinating trying to drill down as to who doesn't and we just finished a retreat my husband and I called heal your life with the power of eight and one of the things that seemed to be preventing people over and over again was the past that just dominates them and their thoughts like an unwanted guest and when we started looking at what was going on with some of the people they had these extraordinary experiences that had essentially defined them or limited them. Maybe a teacher told them in, you know, when they were in second grade that they weren't good at math. And that defined them as being, you know, stupid with numbers. And it defined their own sense of limitation. And they weren't even aware of it. So I'm so interested that you work with subconscious because we, we, what we do is, I tend to use intention, but I use it for, for clearing that kind of situation in the past. So they don't change what happened, they change, but they do reclaim their power through the techniques we do. So I find that that is really a big impediment. Another big impediment that we're finding happens all the time. As I say, I run a year long intention masterclass um, and it starts around the end of January every year. And what I tend to do is put people into groups and then I look at what they do and what happens to them. And some people are successful and some people aren't. And after a while, when I've worked with these people, I, I say to them, you know, when I'm listening to things aren't going on, things aren't going on, finally just say, get off of yourself. 
just start intending for one of the other members of the group and see what happens. And it's been extraordinary to see that altruism is such a big piece of why the, the group work works and mm -hmm. helps people clear those old things too, getting off of yourself. There was one woman called Andy who um, was looking for a new job, had two children, was divorced and um, really needed money. And she was really talented, really good marketer and coach. She couldn't get a job, couldn't get a job. So I finally said, Andy, get off of yourself. Start intending for this young boy who would, had tried to commit suicide. And the whole group, our whole masterclass started intending for this kid who uh, they thought was going to die. Um, Heat Luke got out of the hospital in record time. But more interesting was what happened to Andy because the very next week, she got a call out of nowhere from somebody she didn't know offering her her dream job. So one of the pieces that I've been working on that's been interesting is, is this whole idea of getting off of yourself. And I don't know if anything like that that you've seen in your work um, when people are too consciously um, uh, obsessed with themselves, if that has any effect. You know, Lynn, it's so uh, it's so beautiful how we all land in this like truth and uh, your research brought you to this in a certain from a certain avenue and mine has brought me uh, clinically and uh, down a different avenue and working with people directly as well, finding that uh, what I have found is that there are two selves that we are. Uh, we are the authentic, true, essential self, and I write about this in the book, The Energy Codes, and I teach about this in, a, in an online course. In fact, I'm getting ready to start an online course about this very thing. Um, there, is a, there is a true, essential version of us that chooses to come here to be, to, to be human, to be operating here on the frontier of consciousness where we are living, and as we land, we kind of splat. I describe it as this rough landing where our mind goes one way, our body goes another way, and our breath goes another way. And in that splatted, dispersed state out there on the perimeter, if you can imagine like just pouring a big gallon of milk on the table, how poof, it would just splat out there on the perimeter. We develop this engaging personality that is the false self. It feels dispersed. We feel splatted. We don't know who we are. We're protective in our approach to things. We get attached to the mind because it's capable of looking around to see if we're safe or we're not. We start trying to do things to fit in and to belong and to do the right thing, all in an attempt to feel safety. And so we develop this false sense of self that is protective based, it's fear based, it's performance based. We either outperform our fears that we feel when we're wobbling in the mind or we become protective and defensive and guarded or some combination of such. And so this is the person who worries, who stresses, who thinks they're not enough, who feels inadequate or incomplete or insufficient in some way. And it's not our true self, it's the false protective self. And so it's that self that we have to get off of because the true essential self is made of wholeness and completeness. It's made of the entire cosmic energy. It's, it's universal intelligence that's compressed itself into the physical realm. You know, we know it's just a law of physics that physical matter is just compressed energy and we are energy beings. And so what we are recognizing is that we are truly whole and complete, but we've developed this version of ourselves that operates out there on the perimeter that gets bogged down with worry and frustration that we can't control things and we can't 
can't feel in charge and we can't make things happen. And if we come off of that false self and land on the true self, we are in service. So Lynn, when you're saying, hey, get off yourself and just start thinking about the other people in the group, what you're inviting them to do is come off of their false self and join into the vibrational frequency that represents the true self. And in doing so, you automatically, when you're in service, you feel like you have something to offer. You're automatically, you're not thinking about it. You're just providing, you're engaging, you're connecting. And ultimately what we would recognize is that there's, and what science is showing us is that there's actually only one of us here. We're actually just projecting this whole thing like a movie onto a movie screen. And then we climb onto the movie screen and think that it's real. And so what you're saying is get off the movie screen and drop back here and realize that we're the projector and that we can make this go any way that we want if we stop taking it so personally. So what I've loved doing is teaching people how to do that by coming into the core of their body and breathing into this essential self and recognizing how to anchor so that they can build new neurocircuitry from the essential self, which got thrown under the bus a long time ago. So we're pulling it out and learning how to live from that, that deep authentic place again. Absolutely. Uh, that's so good. Um, and, you know, what's so interesting is this idea of this false self is a false self that feels separate. I mean, yes. that is the, the real issue here is yeah. we've been taught one sense of science. You know, science writes the story we live by, you know, and, and we are still going according to a biography, an autobiography that was written by Isaac Newton 300 plus years ago. And that story described a world of discrete objects that are, you know, indivisible and self-contained and that well-behaved too. They operate according to fixed laws in time and space. Um, and we also have been brought up to believe that there just isn't enough out there and life proceeds through struggle. So thanks to Charles Darwin, you know, we believe it's all about getting there first. And so yes. we do fear that fear has so much to do with that sense of lack and frustration. And I was really interested in the, this whole thing. So a book that I wrote before The Power of Eight is called The Bond. And it was really an answer to Darwin. It was saying, were we meant to be competitive? And what fascinated me was there was so much science demonstrating that we were never meant to be separate. We were always meant to be interconnected. You know, people belonging is possibly the most important thing people have. Um, they need it more than food and water, to be honest. It's the mm. worst thing you can do. Usually people commit suicide because as psychologists say, they feel excessive individuation. They feel left out. And that's the one thing they cannot bear. So I found that it was really important for people to connect that we are actually so interconnected. It's hard to say where one of us ends and the other begins. Um, and I also discovered when I started looking at altruism in trying to decode why the power of eight can heal people in an instant. I found over and over again that the science of altruism, you know, altruism is like a bulletproof vest. As you say, when you go into service, people who do altruistic things live longer, happier, healthier lives. Great example was one study that looked at people who had all the money in the world, loads of vacations, lots of stuff. You know, they were living the dream, right? The good life. 
And when they looked at their immune system markers, they were terrible. These were people who were absolute candidates for arthritis, um, Alzheimer's, diabetes, the whole host of degenerative diseases. Then they looked at another group who were less affluent, but doing a life of service. And they had amazingly robust immune systems. These guys were gonna live forever. And mm -hmm. so when I looked at these power of eight groups, and as I say, I actually have monitored and documented them to see exactly how they work and why they work and what optimizes them working. What are the best you know, intention practices, which I teach my classes. My classes, I find over and over again, you know, the 13th but most important key to intention mastery is getting off of yourself and intending for the other. And one of the reasons the groups work so well is that you get an opportunity to receive and to send at the same time. Yes, beautiful. You know, what, what happens is we get attached to the mind and we think that's who we are. The mind is extraordinarily powerful and is a focuser and a magnifier. The mind field makes bigger whatever we place its attention on. When we're attached to it, though, and it's running the show, the mind can become untethered and start to reel in vibrational frequencies that start to write stories and start to fill in the blanks and start to imagine the rest of what is. And when it's not anchored and tethered to the body, we move out of alpha frequency. We move out from the places where we're supposed to be observing and just witnessing and participating in the beauty of life. And we move into the projection of how do I protect myself and how do I make sure that things are going to go the way that I want them to go or need them to go so that I can belong, so that I can fit in. And what I just want to remind everyone of is that the mind will always feel that way until we connect it to something that grounds it. So when the mind is operating on its own accord, it feels like a separate self. From the splat, it is dispersed and operating as if it is alone. And when we're hooked into that and we think that's who we are, we feel alone. We feel disconnected. So what I'm teaching people how to do is to bring their mind onto the body and allow a weaving together of the vibrational frequencies of our core self connecting with the vibrational frequencies of the mind field itself. And in, in as such, it grounds the mind. It starts causing us to automatically think differently just because we feel a greater sense of connectedness. As soon as, think of it like this, your mind, your body, and your breath are supposed to be working together as a team. They've splatted. They can't find each other. We're attached to the mind. We think that's who we are. So we feel alone. When we automatically unattach from the mind and anchor ourselves back in the core of the body and bring the mind onto that that project, the mind starts to feel like it belongs to a team instead of being alone. It feels the vibrational frequencies of our physiology. It feels the soothing presence of the breath, which is spirit in the body. In, in the body, spirit is breath. So as we're breathing and bringing the mind onto the body and building circuits to be anchored and sustained there, our mind's job automatically changes it starts feeling less responsible for the whole day. It feels less responsible for the whole community, for the whole world. 
and it starts to collaborate with nature. And then we, in that sense of belongingness, we switch the switch from fight or flight and we open up the gateway for healing and filtering and cleansing and detoxifying and replenishing and creativity. And that's where we're supposed to be operating. We've just gotten caught up in a system that's tangled up and it's not working together. So unity consciousness, I find, Lynn, happens when we anchor the mind to the body and we have a sense of belongingness. It's easier for me to care about someone else if I feel okay. And it's easier for me to constantly be in possibility if I don't feel threatened in this moment. So we're finding ways and, and having tremendous clinical results over the last 20 years in the workshops that I've been teaching and training people how to heal themselves. It starts with coming on to the essential self and recognizing, oh, I'm not that fear-based self of the, of the mind that I thought I was. I can use the mind to serve me instead of me serving it. I, just lastly, I'll say Einstein uh, said that we were given this beautiful gift of the intuitive and this rational mind to act as its loyal servant. And we've created a culture that honors the servant instead of the gift. And <laughs> I would go so far as to say, uh, we don't only have the gift of the intuitive, we are the gift of the intuitive. We are pure creative presence. We are pure awareness. And so we have a rational mind that's supposed to be acting as our servant. And instead, it's running the show. So we have to put it in the co-pilot seat instead of the driver's seat of our bus. I think that's so important. And something you said really resonates with me and what, what we've been doing, which is the whole idea of unity consciousness. One of the things that was a big moment for me um, in understanding about group intention and the power of the group was observing not just what happened to the targets with intention experiments, but looked at, looking at what happened to the participants. I surveyed them and I was shocked to get thousands of responses with the, the first peace intention we, we did, uh, where people were saying, I felt like I was part of a higher network. I had tingling all across, you know, all across my body. Uh, I, was, I burst out crying and was sobbing uncontrollably. I felt like I was in the tractor beam of Star Trek, you know, and on and on and on. They also talked about many, many changes in their lives. They made up with estranged relatives. They connected better with their coworkers. They were suddenly, you know, in love with their partners again. Or, you know, children who hadn't spoken to them for 20 years came back. Um, if we were concentrating on a healing type of experiment, they also had instant healings. We had thousands of them, people with, you know, due to have knee surgery saying it's no longer necessary, people with IBS where it was cleared, all those kinds of things. And the same thing with the intention experiments in, you know, the power of eight groups. And so in looking at this, I actually, we did a scientific experiment and we, I worked with the neuroscience department of Life University, which is the largest chiropractic university in, in the world. And they put my, their neuroscience department at my disposal. They, they were interested in power bait groups. I said, yes, please. So when we studied them and put EEG caps on one member of the senders with a batch of groups that were volunteers from the student body, um, we found in every instance very shortly after starting, people got into a completely different brain state. 
the parts of the brain that are involved in separation, the parietal lobes, you know, which sit back here and help us to navigate through space, and the part of the frontal lobes that are involved in worry, doubt, and negativity, these were all turned down. And we thought that it was going to look just like meditation. And it was nothing like meditation. What it was was a brainwave signature much closer to um, people like Buddhist monks involved in uh, ecstatic prayer or Sufi masters involved in chanting. Um, studies that had been done by the University of Pennsylvania had recorded these very, very similar brainwave states with those kinds of people. But the weird thing was, you know, it takes years of practice to become a Buddhist monk, and it takes hours of priming to get into, you know, the Sufi state. Our people were total, um, they were total novices. They were just from the student body. And they had only had a video from me describing how to do it. And yet they were transported into this altered state. And so when I looked at it and looked at what is defined usually as unity consciousness, like Abraham Maslow, the psychologist who wrote about peak experiences, it had all those physical effects I described. It had feelings of extraordinary oneness. It had feelings, you know, a blinding epiphany of meaning, a change in their lives. All of those things happened because they had participated as part of something that reminded them of what unity really is, what oneness feels like, because we don't know this. We don't know this. We don't experience this except in Dr. Sue's workshops, but we don't experience this <laughs> that often. And in my intention experiments and power bait groups. But so one thing that's really interesting to me, Sue, is you and I both teach workshops where we observe and your, your clinical practice observes people who are healed in an instant. It's not, you know, we've had people who have healed from all kinds of intractable illnesses. Um, I had a woman about six weeks ago who was paralyzed from the neck down. We did a work we did a, a workshop at a conference I ran, um, and she stood out of her wheelchair. Now she, everybody was shocked, um, and and she stood up and talked and turned around, etc. I was probably most shocked of all. So we've had plenty of those. What is it? The thing? What's the thing that helps people in your work heal in an instant? We move beyond the mind. We use the mind to, to direct, and then we act. We train the mind to operate in a state of openness and availability that allows the version of us that moves that is beyond the mind, beyond the thinking mind, to to come to work. I I was just looking here while you were talking about if I had a I have these little posters here that I was just working with a class online uh, the other day, and uh, if we can look here. These, these are various energy fields of the physical body. And this red line right here is the mind field. And we exist way out here beyond the mind. And our job is this journey is to come all the way into a body and have a life here. And what happens is we get hooked at this mind level and we have conclusions, we have attitudes, we have beliefs, we have all kinds of things that limit our capacity here to allow the whole of us to land here in this physical body and have the life that we're intended to have. 
So as we are learning to anchor people at the core of the body in certain energy centers that correlate with tethering us in the core, what happens is that that blockage no longer exists. If we look at how the energy flows through the body, it's supposed to hit here, hit the earth, rise up through the body and circles back around and around and around in this toric field flow. And if we don't have the wherewithal or the forgiveness or the presence to allow it to rise through us because we have issues from past experiences that are stuck along the way, it creates a wobble of this rising energy, which creates a distortion in this field. Now, this person is inside of this field looking out and they're looking through a distorted reality. And so they're constantly confirming uh, their beliefs that they're not enough. They're constantly confirming that life is not good and that it's not joyful and that I don't have enough or that that there's you know some lot in life that I'm going to have to be dealing with. And so what we're doing is anchoring people in the core of the body, which completes the journey. And it allows the mind to stop working so hard on surviving and it allows the mind to now expand into availability to the unifying energies that we all have in common, which causes us to feel connected. It causes us to feel love. It causes us to feel forgiveness just because our system is now flowing in an undistorted fashion because we're building the circuits to take that wobble out of the mix and the distortion of the field corrects itself. So then the mind isn't having to work so hard and then miracles happen. So we can, we can just start expanding and allowing that to happen. And if we want it to happen for ourselves too in a consistent and reproducible manner, then we have to build the circuitry to sustain that disposition. So that's what I'm teaching people how to do. But how people heal? How people heal is that they stop running their mind trying to control things and they move into love and appreciation and service. And if I have my way with them, they will tether that mind in the core of their body so that the mind is more acclimated toward nature, toward our true nature and not writing stories to have to solve, creating problems that we solve and give ourselves some temporary feeling of victory, what we actually want to do with the mind is be in service, be in, in the, the possibility of, of what it can mean to be a creator in a body, to be the creative essence rather than someone who's just trying to survive and protect themselves. So it's when the mind relaxes. And, and I was loving what you were saying about the, about the, about the chanting and the Buddhist monks and the, the presentation that's happening neurologically in that state. Meditation is a beautiful, wonderful way to slow down the mind so that we can get out through that and experience a bigger version of ourselves. And we have to learn how to walk on the surface of this planet in our daily lives in that state. We can't just create separate existences where we deal with a hard, a hard knock life, one that's tough to survive, and then we can't wait to be able to go and sit and meditate to a reprieve, to escape into you know, a blissful state. We have to learn to take that blissful state out into the world so that we are a walking, talking meditation constantly. And when we do that, it is ecstatic. It creates ecstasy and it is the bliss that is experienced when, when there is chanting, when there is this tranced mind that is 
awake and alive and lucid, but not thinking and overthinking and overdoing. So we're finding that state and allowing people to train themselves to walk and talk and breathe from that place. That's the essential true self that, that we're speaking of today. So thank you for sharing that and uh, blending this together in this way. Well, that is what, what I think we're really talking about is the sense of oneness. You know, yes. a sense of oneness within the body and a sense of oneness with the rest of humanity that yes. is so sorely lacking. Um, and as you say, um, one of the things, one of the manifestations of that is carrying around the past like a big old weight that creates the sense of fear and lack, et cetera. Because, you know, of course, when we're born, we don't have that. We exist in an ecstatic present state. But as we accumulate time, as my husband puts it in his book, The Untrue Story of You, um, as we accumulate time, we accumulate burden. I mean, one of the things that's been really interesting with me, and, and we also develop the lens through which we see the world, you know, that past takes us over like an unwanted guest, and it's the thing through which we view the world, and it's the thing through which we understand our limitations and our capacities or lack thereof. So one of the things that's been really interesting that I've been working with a lot with, with my workshops, my master classes, is erasing that situation. Now, uh, a really interesting thing that I've done a lot of work on is the whole notion of time in the quantum sense as being one big smeared out now. You know, there's so much evidence showing that our whole idea of time as this forward going arrow is completely fallacious. All quantum physicists now disregard that whole idea of time as an arrow. And a great example of the power of this. And the power that we see in not having time and understanding a larger view of time was a great study by an Israeli professor, Leonard Levavici, who wanted to demonstrate, he wanted to debunk alternative medicine. So he devised what he thought was a brilliant study that would do this. He got a whole bunch of uh, patients together who had a thing called blood sepsis. They, you know, they had an infection of the blood, put them into two groups. One group got all the usual care and this is a life-threatening infection. The other group were given the usual stuff, plus they were prayed for. Now he figured this would not work at all, but he was horrified to see that the people afterward, the people who were prayed for were better in every regard. They got out of the hospital sooner, they had fewer side effects, they were just better. Um, and he published this thinking it would debunk medicine because there was a real kicker to the study. The prayer was uh, carried out in the year 2000. The patients were in the hospital in the years 1992 to 94, six to eight years earlier. So the prayer was done over hospital records six to eight years later. Nevertheless, when he published it, you know, he figured this would show you can't use the scientific method. What he actually showed or what people interpreted it to be is that you, you can go back and change the past. Well, in the view that I see with many scientists and I've come to believe myself, you don't necessarily change the past. It's, this, it's even weirder. The future affects the present as it unfolds. And so constantly we're playing tag with the future and, and the present or the present and the past, if you want to look at it that way. So one of the things that I teach 
is for people to go back to some of the seed moments that really have hurt them and to change their response. So we do a whole technique that changes, doesn't change what happened, it changes their power as it involves, it changes the energy that is locked around that, that event. And we've had extraordinary effects with this. I had a woman who had vitiligo, you know, where she didn't have full pigmenting and she started repigmenting in the workshop. It was completely shocking. But I think it is that, you know, we don't understand the grip the past has on it and, and, and the past creates that, that scarcity of mind that is really oftentimes the source of so much illness. It is amazing. You know, I, 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 I'm going to share something that, that was an experience that I had that definitely was beyond space and time. And it definitely changed my perspective on what is true about time. It's not a line, it's a sphere. It's, it's everything is here already. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to become. There's nothing to accomplish. There is only an awareness that has to open. We just have to open. And as the, 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 the hesitation that we have at opening is what determines this experience of time. Like we are the wholeness of creation. We are all of it. There's nothing that we're not. And it's only a matter of building the circuitry to perceive it that would allow us to know that that is true. And the hesitation of expressing and being and, and opening and being available is what keeps us from building the circuitry to perceive our wholeness. So I was stressed. I was doctor working in my clinic. I, of course, was raised with all these quantum science ideas. I could help other people with so many miraculous things, people that were canceling surgeries and people that were giving being able to change their medications, come off of them, uh, just miraculous things happening all the time. And it was, it was kind of what I had known to be just because it's what I grew up with. And yet I, I hadn't accepted these ideas on a deep level for myself, nor did I know that that was an option that I needed to do. So I certainly didn't know how to do it. And uh, as my stress continued, I uh, became attracted to meditation because I wanted to some kind of reprieve. And the instant that I started meditating, I started having transcendental experiences, which I thought everyone who meditated did. And so I instantly wondered why everybody in the world wasn't meditating. So uh, I continued to meditate. And about the third or fourth experience that I had, I had an experience that this is an image that has been generated that is as closely to representing the experience that I had as is possible on an image like this. But, but this is who we think we are. And this is where I woke up. I woke up at a higher self level. I could see the earth beneath me about the size of a marble. And I was me, but I wasn't in a physical body. I was a ray of light. And here I am, you know, a trained scientist, definitely aware of the power of the mind, etc. And here I had shot up and out beyond anything my mind had ever imagined. And I was able to see in a light so brilliantly bright, it was 10 times brighter than the brightest day in the desert I had ever experienced. And I could see 360 degrees around me. 
and a beautiful iridescent translucent blanket of a horizon would rise and fall with each breath that I was taking. And I knew that this was the truth of who we are. I had been there forever and I knew it and I knew I was always going to be there and that I could project my attention into any dimension, any place and have an experience anytime that I wanted to do. And it blew my mind and I could see the entire purpose of life, of what it is that we're doing, how we're causing each other to awaken to this unity. I knew that this was the center point of each of us so that each of us are all shooting off from this single point of unity that we truly are. So while it sounds fantastical, it changed my life. I spent the next 10 years turning my life into a living laboratory so because I wanted to have that experience again. I wanted to know how to do that. And as I did, I... I figured out how to con that it was that I needed to come into the body actually to have that experience. And so I'm, I'm now teaching people how to come into the body so that we can access that state of union that is our true self. That's why we seek unity consciousness. And what I found then is that unity consciousness connecting with other happens after we unify inside. Mind, body, breath have to unify and that creates a state of consciousness that allows us to perceive the same the same vibrational frequency in others that is our true essential self and as we do so we we learn to build the circuitry to sustain that disposition that transcends space and time that transcends the personality it transcends the life experiences that you're having here people start remembering all kinds of past life experiences they start they start remotely viewing they start healing they start seeing things that that through an eye a different eye than these two physical eyes that were that we are uh, you know trained to live by now, the third eye, the pineal gland, is made of rods and cones inside our brain, yet there's no window to the outside. Obviously, it is perceiving light receptor cells that are perceiving light from of, of a different frequency. And, and this is what we're working with, starting to stabilize so that we can open and perceive life from different from a different place than the stimulus response creature that is bound mm -hmm. by time and is bound by space the way that we've so far been trained to live. We have access to more of who we are. Uh, you know, absolutely. And it, it's so interesting too, that the process of healing is about transcending this, uh, ironically about transcending this physical body, this time and space body, this, you know, this space suit um, that has carried us through and this perception that, Yes. most particularly, that we are alone. Um, one thing that's really occurred to me and I've observed over and over again, and, and the thing that I teach in my master classes and, and um, workshops, is the power of a small group. One thing that I've, I've tried to figure out um, and spent 10 years really studying and examining and testing, what is it, what's the secret sauce here in a group that, is kind of a fast track to the miraculous because everything you described, that was exa that's exactly what people talk about, either in the intention experiments when they're part of a giant group intending for something or just a group of eight working together. Now remember in an intention experiment, they're not sitting with other members of the group. 
they're doing what we're doing now. They're sitting in front of their computer screen and they're connecting with me on YouTube or on my website with thousands of people around the world who are also sitting alone in front of their computer screen, yet they're feeling this tingling. They're feeling this blinding epiphany of meaning as you experienced. They understand the universe. They feel this oneness. What is that? And what I think it is, is once we step out of, you know, and again, there are so many different ways of getting to that feeling, so many ways that are all equally valid. From my perspective, since I've been working so much with groups, I find groups a real fast track to the miraculous. And I find it so interesting that it can happen in 10 minutes. Because when we do intention uh, experiments and when we do power of eight groups, all we do is have people in that state for 10 minutes. That's it. And the only reason we, is because we started doing it that way. We thought people wouldn't be able to focus for more than 10 minutes if they hadn't done meditation before. So people don't have to spend hours in discipline practice or priming. They can zoom into that experience in a minute. And it's about just the energy of the group. It's about intention itself and some of the practices that I teach in, in, my, in my workshops and master classes. But it's also that sense of really coming together you know, you experience viscerally not being alone. You are feeling it. You've got the energy of everyone else running with you, and it somehow supersizes that ability. Um, I've been fascinated to hear about how people have described the power of eight groups when they've had a healing. One woman said she felt, she saw, she was an empath. She saw light beings behind all the members of the group almost like they were being supported in some way. As you say, Sue, you got into that state where you saw some a totally different reality. And that's how they describe it too, that state of oneness. They see other beings. Someone else described who was due for a knee replacement operation. She felt there were hot mitts during this 10 minute experiment. She'd never done it before. She'd been in a power of eight group for the first time. She felt hot mitts holding her knee like it was almost some other entity. Um, people describe uh, that kind of almost extraterrestrial feeling where they are part of you know, a larger reality with larger beings, with other entities, with other energies coming together. Something about that circle, whether it's large or small, seems to invite that unity consciousness, that, that, that sense of oneness that I think is really the key. Um, there's been one really interesting development that I've played around with with the intention experiments. Um, I had the opportunity to work with some special technology last year. Um, it, it was in South of England and it could, uh, we could put cameras into 10 different locations that would show up. So it was a, a conferencing mechanism. They could see me, but I could also see, see them and they could see each other. So we put cameras in uh, eight different Arab cities with people, you know, with people in conference rooms. And the ninth camera we put in a, um, an Israeli, an audience filled with Israeli Jews. And we sent intention to lower violence in Jerusalem. And it was amazing. Um, not just because we seem to have lowered violence in, in, in a violent area of Jerusalem, but what happened between the parties? They started sending love to each other. They started saying things like, your God is my God. 
Now, these are people, you know, people from Saudi Arabia and Kuwait, et cetera, et cetera, who've grown up to despise the Israelis and the Israelis vice versa. Yet there were tears and all kinds of things. And when I investigated it later, there was some really interesting evidence showing that, you know, our, uh, the thing that gets turned on when we have a compassionate experience, as you do when you're sending intention for someone else, is a thing called the vagus nerve, which is the longest nerve in the body. You know all about this. And it finds its way through all the major organs. Um, and when it does, studies from Berkeley have shown that um, people become more accepting of the other, of people not like them, and connecting with people not like them. So they feel this unity with people completely not like them. Um, and so, so we saw it. And of course, one of the things I want to play around with is, okay, let's get Republicans and Democrats together and start doing this. <laughs> but it is all about, you know, that transcendence and that unity of feeling you're able, even able to get a, along with people who were adversaries. You know, this, um, this vagus nerve is 80% um, sensory, which is something that most of science uh, it overlooks. And they definitely overlooked that when I was going through school. And, and what we have to recognize is that we are sensory beings. We are 10 to 100 to 10,000 times more sensory than motor. Our ability to perceive what is true is more important than what we do. If we can change our perspective on what we can perceive, we can more easily move into union and move into connection. But we live in a society that is obsessed with what to do. What do I do differently to, to change my life? We have to learn to perceive. So this vagus nerve is tremendously valuable. There are 11 billion bits of information that are bombarding our energy field every millisecond. That's a lot. And it doesn't report to our mind or to our head. It reports to our gut. It comes in through this mind field and in through the etheric field and the feeling body and it lands in our gut and then it rises up from through epigenetics and, and a variety of other chemical impulses and neuro impulses that get stimulated through the sensory components of this vagus nerve and they arrive up to the center of the brain for translation. So what we have to learn is how to allow that information to rise up here without being distorted, without being lost along the way. And we're so used to living just in our heads and overriding things with our thinking mind that this message that's trying to arise that is filled with the wisdom that we seek gets overridden because the power of the mind when it's worrying and being frustrated and being angry on a subconscious level interrupts and distorts those, those messages. So we want to learn how to heal ourselves, to come into a state of love, to breathe in our cores and allow the, the access, the superhighway between these 11 billion bits of information uh, rising up to our awareness to be open, that the streets are open and allowing this flow of wisdom to rise. That allows us to easily connect and to easily feel our unity and to feel our bondedness with, with belonging in general, belonging with nature, belonging in life, feeling like we did land on the right planet, we did land in the right family, we are in the right job, we are, it is okay. We don't have to change all these things to find some sense of, of safety and, 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 he and health and wholeness. You know, I'm teaching in master classes as well and 
coursework all the time. And I'm always seeing these miraculous results that happen when people drop into themselves and find the true sense of self, not the false self identity that is just too tangled up in a and kind of a mess, but here we're here to transmute that into something more beautiful. We're here to transmute the mind field and transition it into the clarification uh, um, capacity that it's truly meant to be. It's truly here to magnify love. And we just have to train it how to operate. Right now, it's like a spoiled child. It's a four-year-old that's trying to seek, you know, the next hit of of somebody telling it that it's okay. And and it lands us in a in a constant state of want and need instead of of, of filtering into a, a state of of union and and being able to produce uh, a life that is an outpicturing of exactly that. You know, Lynn, as I'm hearing you speak, it sounds like we need to do an event together sometime. We need to just uh, <laughs> we need to put so great because we're be... sort of saying we're saying essentially yes. that. You know, life doesn't have to be so hard and it doesn't need, you don't need to get into a sweat lodge. You don't need, you know, years and years of disciplined practice and walking on your knees and doing all that stuff. You need, you need certain techniques. Yes. That are. You can easily shift. Yes. Easily shift from one state to another. And that is the state of healing, not only your body, but your whole life. Yes. So it's meant to be um, implicated and applied um, or, or the application of it. It needs to be during life. You know, we, we all are busy. We don't have an extra hour to learn, you know, to, to pra- do these practices all day in addition to the other things that we're doing. Certainly nothing wrong with the sweat lodge. Absolutely nothing wrong with sitting in meditation. I meditate every day. But what I really want everyone to realize is that, and you're saying this too, Lynn, is that we can do this in real time. Uh, since there is no such thing as time, we can do this in the present moment uh, whenever, always, and always have access to the eternal aspect of us which does belong, which is connected, which does have the capacity to operate beyond what our five sensory world would have us believe that we can be. There is a bigger version of us that is here to come out, to come out through those layers of of, uh, protectivism and survivorship that we've been so indoctrinated into. And uh, science, fortunately, is finally developing to the degree that it can measure these capacities that we have that are that are superhuman, that are supernatural. And it's time for us to live as that. Um, so, Lynn, I think that people should probably stay tuned for some time in the future, us getting together and uh, doing something together. I think it would be a wonderful thing. Oh, I would love it. I think we really, we really sort of mesh beautifully. A lot of our ideas are really closely aligned and it would be great fun to do that. Well, let's figure it out. We'll we'll, uh, talk about it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to our chat. This has just been a chat between friends who, uh, who really are having fun and learning a lot and discovering a, a number of things and healing loads of people in an instant. So, you know, stay tuned. We we just want to share with everyone. So blessings to you all. Thanks for being with us today, Lynn. I love connecting with you. Every smidgen of a minute that I get with you is in such delight. So I look forward when we get to see each other again soon. Great. Bye, everybody. Take care. 
This is Lynn McTaggart, helping you to live the new science. Keep listening and I'll continue to give you information and tips each time about how to incorporate this new information into your life.